Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Well, here we are, Northlanders. Here we are back for that segment that we do once a month. It started off just as a little 15, 20-minute deal and has now grown into almost an hour. Thanks in part, in big part, to Peter Wood, the host of Let the Sawdust Fly, who who goes out of his way, I think, to make sure that every month we have some very, very interesting guests uh, to talk about, to uh, to talk about the wood industry. And Peter, you've outdone yourself this uh, this month, so you know what? I'm going to let you take it away and introduce your guest today. Well, thank you, Brad. Folks out there listening, thanks for allowing us to come into your lives once again, once a month, and talk about the timber industry. And it's always a pleasure to be back in the studio and talk. Um, today, folks, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn in the timber industry here um, because I think this is extremely important. Loggers are just like anybody else. We're patriots. We believe in our country. We believe in where we live, and we want to manage the forest so we can stay here. About three weeks ago or so, I got a flyer from an individual from, I can't, I never got permission to use his name, but I'll say it this way, Henry from Mountain Iron. If he's listening, thanks, Henry, for letting us know about about a speaker that was coming to Hibbing and looked at the information on it, and I thought, I'm going to go and listen to this guy. I don't know why, but I need to go listen to him. Because I never knew him before, never heard of him. Okay, folks. Yeah. And then when I and then I told my family I'm going to do this. It was a beautiful Saturday, two o'clock, and I thought not going to be a whole lot of people there, but because it's so nice. But it was. I'm so thankful I did go. And my wife and daughter went. My son had other plans. Otherwise, he would have went. But I get up there and I see Henry at the door, and I go over and talk to him a little bit. And then he tells me that this guy was a lumberjack. I thought, what? He was a lumberjack. So that interests me even more yet to talk to him. So I got a chance to talk to him before and after. And he was, and after talking to him, listen to his story, folks, I thought, this has got to get out to more people. And so I know we talk about the timber industry, but I want to get this out more because it's kind of like if you ever lose your health and you get it back, you so much appreciate it so much more. Oh, yeah. And you can't really experience how much you appreciate it unless you get that chance to get it back. And when you do get it back, you want to keep it. Well, Peter Valdinka from Communistic with Iron Curtain, where he came from, did not have freedom, and he heard about America. And he was willing to risk everything, folks, everything to make it here. Now, think about this. He started thinking about this when he was 17 and made the attempt when he was 27. Now, right. I say it that way, but he's alive. Ten years of planning. Ten planning. years of planning. Okay. Now, in the meantime, from 17 to 27, he gets married and has two children. And now you're going to make your break for it with a wife and a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old daughter? A four-year-old daughter, no, and a two-year-old son. Sorry about that. Yeah. Would you be willing to try and do that yourself, folks? I've read a little bit of the background on on uh, Peter Vod- Vodenka, which we're going to meet here in a minute. But he has written his story in a book that's that's titled "Journey for Freedom." This is incredible. Uh, if he had been captured, he probably would have been locked away in a gulag with him and his wife, kids taken away from him, raised by the state. He may have never seen his kids again. 
Yeah. So we ought to understand in this country what sacrifices uh, Peter Vondenko and his family made to get out of communist Czechoslovakia. So, Peter, go ahead and introduce him, yep. and I think so, this will be an interesting so show. Peter Valdinka, I hope, I believe you're there, and uh, would like to introduce you to the folks out there and your story and what it was like, and you risked everything. And I think it's such a great story, folks, especially with the 4th of July coming up. We have parades Absolutely. to celebrate. So, Peter, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. Great, great. Could you do a little bit? Did I hit it kind of close to what really happened to you? Or I know there's a lot more to it. Could you explain to the folks out there? Kind of go start going yeah, through yeah. it in that. Yes, yes, you got it. Uh, you got it really close. You know, um, uh, as you said, uh, you know, I was born in communist country. I was born behind the Iron Curtain. I live all my life behind the Iron Curtain with total government oppression and control and dictatorship. And uh, since I was 17 years old, I started dreaming and praying and hoping and wishing that I'm going to go to America. I, I knew that American Americans have freedoms. We didn't. We have no freedoms whatsoever. Our government was controlling what we, what we are allowed to say or do or where we are allowed to move or live. What we what we can wear, what we are, what we cannot wear, what cars, what vehicles we cannot drive, and what books we cannot read. I mean, they were controlling every aspect of our lives. So I guess since I was 17 years old, I have strong desire for freedom, and I need to go to America. But uh, uh, our borders, in order for me to leave to go to America, I have to escape from Czechoslovakia because we were pretty much prisoners in our own land. And in order for me to do that, I have to escape and make it illegal, illegally either into West Germany or Austria and use one of those countries to come to the United States. Peter, this is Brad Bennett. And first of all, I yeah. want to just uh, thank you for being uh, available for us today. But secondly, you know, I think people in this country have no idea what kind of constrictions and restraints you guys, you people were under in in communist Czechoslovakia. But you just let us know. You were told what to wear, what to listen to, what to watch. And if you went against that, you might not be heard from again, right? Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, If you step off the line in any way, and the line was very, very narrow, of course. If you step off the line, you know, you were taken care of. The government would take care of you. Either you get arrested and you end up in the, you know, work camps, gulag-like prisons, mining the uraniums, uranium with your bare hands, or uh, you could simply disappear. Let's do this. When you come back after our sponsor break here, maybe you can give us a little bit of how your planning went. What were you thinking about? How did you plan your escape? Did logging, were you doing logging in Czechoslovakia before you escaped? And did your work come into play a little bit as well? But let's talk about that when we come back after this quick break. Giant Redwood, Larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. 
I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees. I well, eat we are back. I go to the lavatory. We are back with uh, Peter Wood and his special guest this morning, Peter Vondenka. Uh, Peter Wood's... Uh, Talk with Peter about the planning that went into his escape and how the actual escape took place. Yeah, when we were talking before uh, over the evenings about coming on the radio on that and how he explained it, and I read his book, went and listened to him speak, and it's really, really something. Peter, could you explain how it started taking root, how you had to keep it very quiet? You couldn't even tell your family members other than your wife's very, very quiet secretively. Could you go through that a bit? Yes, well, you know, it was in our government eyes uh, because it was socialist, communist uh, government, and uh, it was illegal to leave our country because according to their propaganda, the communism and socialism was the best system there was. You know, people in their propaganda, people supposed to be breaking fences to get into our country, not dying or risking their lives to leave. And so... I have to keep everything totally quiet. You know, I knew if there is a will, there is a way, as they say. And I know there is the way, but I just need to find that way to go out, to get out without being killed or captured. And I have to keep everything in the secret, because if our government knew just that I am thinking about leaving this country or that country, then uh, I would be persecuted as I really actually did that, and I would become political criminal. And, of course, in their eyes, political criminals were the worst sorts of criminals, never never mind murderers or rapists. So I have to keep sure. everything quiet. So for 10 years, I am keeping my ears and eyes open. I am listening. I'm educating myself. I am putting the puzzle together in my head. Nobody knows what I'm thinking. Not my parents, not my brother, nobody. And after 10 years, I thought I know how to get out. But... You said before, by then I was married. I had a 24-year-old wife, four-year-old daughter, and two-year-old son. So now I have to take my whole family across it, not just myself. And what I find out was that communist country of Yugoslavia, their president, Marshal Tito, didn't tithe the country as much as the rest of the Eastern Europe. He gave his country a little bit more freedom, not much, but Yugoslavians have a little bit more freedom than the rest of us did. And one thing which I learned was that the border between Yugoslavia and the, and the Austria, which of course Yugoslavia is communist country, Austria is outside the Iron Curtain, uh, that border wasn't as tight as our borders. There were fences over there, but our borders was impenetrable. They built the Iron Curtain, but we know, and there was no way to cross that. But in Yugoslavia, right. there was chance to make to cross that border. We end up going to Yugoslavia. We have to apply with our government to let us leave to Yugoslavia, and we told them we would like to go to a vacation. But, of course, it was communist country, so under certain circumstances, we were allowed to go over there. We could never go to the Western European countries. So we apply with our government. It was, of course, uh, we have to be approved, and our backgrounds were checked and everything else. And then we got permission to go to Yugoslavia, for a summer vacation in the summer of 1983, for two weeks. But my wife and I are only two people. I know we know we're going over there. We are not going over there camping. We're going over there with the hope that we're going to escape. And what I was planning to do, I was planning to try to sneak across the Yugoslavian border into Austria in the middle of the night. 
And uh, so after we left Czechoslovakia, four days later, we are hiding away from the Yugoslavian-Austrian border. And we are waiting for one o'clock in the morning because I want to try that at two o'clock. I'm thinking, you know, that's our best chance. Everybody's tired. Everybody's sleeping. Okay. Nobody's paying so much attention. So I think our two o'clock right. is the best chance we have. But we have two little children. We have four-year-old and two-year-old. Now we have to wake them up in the middle of the night and drag them from the car in the night. And those kids are going to be tired and they're going to start crying. Yeah. But we cannot have this, right? Because we could be hurt. So I sit down with my little tiny kids before we put them to bed in the back seat of the car. And I says, I need you to listen to me. We're going to put you to bed. And while you are sleeping, your mom and I are going to be driving the car. And in the middle of the night, we will stop oh. the car. We will wake you up. You will be very sleepy. You will be very tired and you will want to cry. But you cannot cry this time because... There might be some bad people there, and if they hear us, we can get into trouble. We all realize what that must have been like because, you know, your kids were at such an age that they didn't really realize what was going on. They just had to trust you that they were going to be safe and that you were going to keep them safe. That's exactly right, yeah. And, and you know, I also I was thinking if I scare them too much with the bad people now, maybe that's what's going to make them cry. When we wake them up and there is darkness around and, and bad people hiding sure. there. So sure. it was kind of really iffy. I didn't know what to really say. I didn't even know if they're going to get it. You know, two-year-old child is just a little bit older than baby. But at 2 o'clock in the morning... Were you able to drive across the border without being stopped? Or was there a, uh, a place where you had to be stopped and questioned? Of course, yes. There were the places. But I know they're not going to let us across. So my plan was that we're going to drive the car to the border as close as we can without being seen. We're going to leave it up the side, and we're going to try to sneak back across that border on the foot. That was okay. my idea. Okay. So it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and we are getting closer. Now rain is pouring down. Oh, pouring, the rain was going down in the sheets. And we come close to that border, and we stop, and now we are walking across the border. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, downpour. We are carry, I'm carrying our boy in my hand, and my wife was holding our four-year-old daughter's hand. And we were spotted by Yugoslavian soldiers. And now they oh. start chasing after us. They are chasing after us with the rifles, AK-47s, dogs, carrying spotlights. Now we are running. Now our only chance is to cross that border before they come close enough to see us, to shoot us or arrest us. But right. luckily for us, thanks God, the rain was coming down so hard at this moment that those spotlights were reflect, reflecting on the rain. They knew we are there. They just couldn't see us at this moment because that, that rain was blocking the light. But oh. it is just a matter of the time because they could run faster than we could. They didn't carry little children. But luckily for us, we crossed that border before they came close enough to actually see us. And they were behind wow. us, probably not any farther than 100, 150 yards. If that border was, if that border was a little bit farther away, we would never make it. Sure. When you crossed the border, did the other authorities from the favorable country then accommodate you? Or how did you, where did you end up going from there? Right. When we crossed that border, there was nobody on the other side because, you know, Austrians didn't guard that border. 
uh, right. so much. I mean, they have border right. crossings and stuff like that, but they didn't guard it so much. So when we got into Austria, of course, we still don't know what's going on because the, you you couldn't ask questions. Like I says, I'm building the puzzle in my own head for 10 years, but but everything is blurry. You never know. You cannot start asking questions because you will become suspicious and get arrested by, by your own government. So sure. everything was just, you know, ideas, and hopefully it's going to work, and it did. But when we crossed that border, we have nothing. We have two little children close on our backs. We had 600 us in our pockets, and we didn't speak English, or we didn't speak German also, of course. We're going into German-speaking country. But when we crossed that border, we knew, I knew, that there is refugee camp somewhere for the people like us, and we will have to go through refugee camp. But we didn't know where that refugee camp is, how far it is, uh, how to get there or anything. But, you know, sure. it, it's kind of a long story, but... Uh, Two days later, after we crossed this border, two days later, we end up refugee camp. And that was actually a really scary place because, you know, it was old military camp and there was fences around lots of buildings and streets and avenues. It was being used for refugee people now, for refugees. And they were mostly single men from all corners of the world, different customs, different languages, different nationalities. Very scary place, garbage everywhere. It was just gross and disgusting uh, and dangerous. I, I I kept my wife and my children's, you know, arm lengths from me. I wouldn't let them out of my sight right. for a second. But we have to go through it. That was part of the process. So when we were in the refugee camp, we were applying for United States. We fill out applications. We have to write our life history. It was translated and sent over to U.S. Council because we were applying for United States of America. You're in a refugee camp. You've applied for asylum. So let's, when we come back from the news, let's pick it up there. We'll be back very shortly with more of Peter Von Denka's story of his escape to freedom. We'll be back. We uh, we are back, uh, continuing on with a just an amazing discussion this morning with uh, Peter Wood's guest, who is Peter Vondenka, who has written a book about his journey to freedom from communist Czechoslovakia, and the book is entitled "Journey for Freedom." I find this to be a fascinating story. Uh, yes, it can be. Actually, I have the website, which is also called "Journey for." freedom and the book can be ordered uh, on the website uh okay. the book is also on kindle peter <clears throat> as we left the air you were telling us you had gotten across the border into austria the uh the border guards were looking for you they were sending out dogs but maybe to your benefit there was a pouring rain going on at the time made it very difficult to find you but then three days later you ended up in a uh, in a camp where did it go from there then? Let's take off right from there. Well, I would like to come a little bit back because you mentioned on that weather while we were escaping. You know, that yes. weather was absolutely blessing for us because when we were in Yugoslavia looking for our way to get out, it was for last two days it was raining. And when we are coming close to the, closer to that border, it's, it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, the rain is intensifying. It's like somebody slowly opening the spigot. 
And when we are running, that rain is coming down in the sheet. And that's pretty much safe our lives. And when we crossed that border, the rain stopped. It didn't really? slow away. It didn't, didn't fade out. It didn't slow away. It just stopped. Wow. It, Talk about a higher intervention. Boy, you had to feel absolutely. like there was a power over you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can feel, I, I, we don't have time to go into too many details, but I do public speaking, and when I talk, you know, I can go into more details, and it's, uh, you know, there is God's intervention all the way around, you know, every step what was yeah. happening, everything that was happening at the time was protecting us and, and helping us to, to survive the situation, not to get killed and make it across that border safely. So, so uh, Brad, uh, on this, yes. everybody's probably wondering, how does this have to do anything with logging, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the reason why is... Uh, Peter, could you explain to the folks what you did, why we, we got together and you were a logger, but why that was so critical for your last, the very last leg to get out of communistic rule? He had to go through a forest, yeah. and you, right, right. you had to learn how to move through the woods, how to step, where to go, how to up, down, duck, go this way, that way. And that was all learned before you even got there. Could you explain that a little bit? That's why it's so important. Yes, I was uh, I was logger. Uh, that was one of my occupations which I did in communism. But also in communism, uh, you know, everybody working for government because they own everything. When sure. communists come to power, they confiscate everything. They confiscate land from the farmers, businesses from the people, apartment buildings, a restaurant, everything what people own, the communists just confiscate. So I was actually working for the government. Everybody was working for government. And we were starting logging because we have to drive into the woods and start logging. So you learn how to move around and how to actually be in that forest safely without hitting something. So when I was running, when we were running, and I'm carrying my boy in my hands, when we crossed that border, there was pretty good forest over there. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and it was pitch black. It was one of those nights when there is absolutely nothing, no shadows. Peter, you know very well when you are in the forest at night, it is dark, and you cannot see around you, but if you look up in the skies, the sky is always lighter than the trees. You can see the outline of the trees where they are. So that's what I am doing. I'm looking up in the sky because I am running through the forest, which I don't know, through the brush and branches and big trees. And I'm pretty much blindfolded because it's pitch black. And I'm afraid sure. that I'm going to run into tree trunk with my son's face, two-year-old boy or my own. So I'm looking up in the skies. And it, it was so pitch black that I couldn't see the difference between sky and the, and the trees. So I still don't see the trees. So I am feeling, on the, I'm, and I'm talking about on the run, I'm feeling the the ground with my feet to see if there are some, any soft spot, spots, any raises, because trees usually have the little hill coming to the tree. So I am actually able to move through the woods on the run in the pitch black, pitch black darkness without actually getting into trouble. And that was all from growing up next to the forest and working in the forest. That, that, was, forest. that was one section of my life which actually prepared me Without knowing it's preparing me, it's actually preparing me for this moment, for this situation. 
Wow. Peter, how long did it take you once you had applied for asylum to actually get a hearing and to uh, move on from Austria? Well, it took us only two and a half weeks because we flew those uh, paperwork and it was sent to U.S. Council in Vienna. U.S. Council called us for interview that lasted about 45 minutes. All the time they were checking our backgrounds because they want to know who we are, where we come from, why we are there, because there were people who might be pretending they were uh, leaving country and they were spying for the communist government and stuff. Sure. So they were checking our backgrounds. But anyway, so we went through interviewing with U.S. Council. He uh, checked us, talked to us through translator, of course, about 45 minutes, and he decided we are okay people to go to America. So then they send us to doctor, make sure we are all healthy, we don't bring any weird illnesses or diseases. And then we right. still could not leave unless we have sponsor in America. They don't just let you come over here with nothing at the time. Right. Somebody has to be waiting for you. Somebody has to be helping you. And we were sponsored by Lutheran Church in Beach, North Dakota. We were actually, North Dakota was our first home. Okay. And uh, so, but when we arrived, because we did this, we escaped our country illegally. But when we came over here, we came to America legally. So when we arrived, we already have the green card. We have social security numbers. I could start working right away. And I did. I started working five days, seven days after we came to America. But, wow. you know, it was only two and a half months. And according to people in that refugee camp, it was all-time record. Nobody went through it that fast. Nobody. When we arrived yeah. there, there were people there for two years. There were people wow. who committed suicide in those refugee camps. There were people who turned into alcoholism. Because some people apply for the country they want to go to. And there was something in their background, and the country wouldn't accept them. So they sure. reapply and get down there. Denied, reply, reapply again. Then they apply for Australia, then they apply for Canada. They, and they were getting denied over and over. So for some people, you know, it was hard. Every morning you wake up with the hope that today is the paperwork, today is the time and my paperwork is going to come through. And every night that, they pay, that hope died for some. So it was very difficult because we were free. We were in a refugee camp, but we could walk around. I actually even found a job so I could leave the refugee camp to go to work and back. But yeah. you cannot start your new life in that refugee camp. You are caught between the two worlds. You cannot go back to your own life, and you cannot start your new life in the refugee camp. You're spinning the wheels. We'll be right back. Hang on to your thoughts. WDSM time, 955, 75 degrees in Duluth, Brad. It's getting nice out there. Well, Peter Wood uh, and uh, Peter Vodenka, uh, please, uh, Peter, wrap this up by uh, discussing a little bit of what has happened to Peter's life since then, and maybe the two of you want to talk a little bit about why this uh, journey was so important to you. For me, it was how everything he said in the speech and reading his book, it all matched up. It was no real variance and change in the, his story. And that's what really intrigued me because he was telling the truth what it was really like to live under dictatorship. And yeah. this weekend come up, we celebrate the 4th of July with parades, fireworks, people getting together, picnics and that. And it's something like that to me is so special and precious in this world that we cannot lose that. And Peter Valdinka is one that has lived in it where you don't have it. He never knew what it was like to actually live in freedom. And that's why I found it so special about that. 
And Peter, could you elaborate just a little bit what it was like to come here with True Freedom after being here a while and where you're at today? Well, it was it was absolutely incredible. Just the sense of the freedom which you have, you know, the colors, the, the everything seems to be different. We we left Czechoslovakia, our home country, and we were surprised how colorful colorful other countries are. We in communism, everything was somehow gray, rundown. Nothing was, you know, there were not really vibrant colors anywhere, and. Uh, and you don't know it because you don't experience anything else. We didn't realize that until we see something else. And so the sense of the freedom and opportunities was incredible. You know, we came to America for the same reason your ancestors did. Maybe, maybe take 100 years or more before us. But they came here for the opportunities which this wonderful country offered to us. For people to work and succeed and have freedoms. We came here for the same reason. All what we want to have your life, to have Americans' yeah. life. And uh, when we arrived on the beach, we didn't speak English, like, like I said. And I'm looking for work immediately. I have dictionary. I'm pointing work, 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 because I know if I stay home with my family, I'm never going to learn English. And if I don't speak right. English, I'm never going to get a good job. So seven days later, I found a pig farmer who was looking for farm help. I was working for $3.35 an hour, I was working nine hours a day and six days a week just to generate enough income to support my family. But I'm looking for a better job. Three months I found better job, so I give my two weeks notice and start a better job. But I was always looking for a better job. And anytime I found it, I start a better job for more money and for better better situation. Eventually, I end up owning the construction business in Minnesota, as a matter of fact. Wow. And uh, down in the and close to the Twin City area. I retired from that business uh, just recently, and uh, our life, our children, our grown-up, of course, our son, after high school, joined the United States Marines, and he was sent over right. to war one month before the war started. So when the when the march came on the Baghdad, he was on very tip of Marine column, going towards to the Baghdad, and wow. you know, by him. Serving this wonderful country of ours, it's like he brought our story full circle. He just make it more meaningful or something by serving this great country. Our time is up today. I want to thank you so much for enlightening us today. And may you have a wonderful, your whole family, a wonderful 4th of July. And Peter Woods, same to you. And we'll talk to you again next month on Let the Sawdust Fly. Thank you. of the North.